0: (laughs) Hello and welcome to this edition of Outside the Box Score. I am your host, Jonathan Michael, and as always, I will be joined by my co-host, the marvelous Joey Thompson, in just a few minutes. But before we get started, I want to mention to you that this podcast is brought to you by Rakuten. Rakuten is as easy as one, two, three. You start by going to Rakuten's website and find your store. These are the stores that you normally shop at. Macy's, eBay, Kohl's, Old Navy, Lululemon, Nike, Gap, Adidas, Levi's, Crocs. There's too many to mention, folks. But you go through Rakuten, you shop on their websites as usual. That's step number two. And number three is you get paid because you're earning cash back. You get paid via PayPal or check. Simple as doing the shopping that you already do at the places you already do it for the prices that you already pay, and you get paid to do it. How simple is that? Up to 15% cash back. And when you sign up, through our special link in the podcast description, you'll get rewarded. Get $10, folks, just for signing up. So why not give it a try? Also want to mention to follow along with us on Twitter. You can find us at J-M-O-T-B pod, at M-T-O-T-B pod. We'd love to interact with you there. Also find me writing in various places on the internet, sharing blogs, sharing other thoughts on the issues. That will all be shared via Twitter. We only do this once a week, but there is more content that we're putting out, and you can find it there. Let's kick off our first quarter And talk about a revelation that I had in the NFL this week. It is the political season. We are less than a month away from a very important election to many. And in the spirit of that, I am launching my own campaign. See all these political groups that have their slogans and their mantras. And I had this revelation on Thursday night. And I, and I don't know what office I'm running for, maybe NFL commissioner or general manager. I'd settle for your favorite podcast host. But uh, had this revelation in this campaign that I am diehard about. I'm adamant. I've seen the light. My mantra is, O-line matters. Watching the game between the Chicago Bears and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the biggest moment in the game, if you missed it, was when James Daniels, the guard for the Chicago Bears, very good interior lineman, went down with injury. His backup comes in, and he could not block a tackling dummy. And I know what you're thinking. Yeah, the Bears won. Sure they did. Yeah, they did. You know why they won? Because Tampa Bay's star interior lineman, Vita Vea, got injured for that last drive. The Bears' defense held pat. They were able to score. And Tom Brady suffered momentary amnesia and forgot what down it was. So the Bears got lucky to get out alive. But there's a very simple formula to stop the Bears now. They have an immobile quarterback. Sit on the short routes send pressure up the middle. That's pretty much it for the Bears. I really thought the Bears had an outside chance of being a Super Bowl contender this year, but with no interior line protection and teams now being able to game plan for that and take advantage of it, that's it. It's done for the Bears. And this led me to realize how mobile quarterbacks, because O-line matters so much, It's no longer a trend, it's the standard. Offensive line play has been horrific this year. It's been really, really bad. The Redskins benched Dwayne Haskins. I'm not quite sure it was his fault. They gave up eight sacks to the Rams. I know Aaron Donald's great, but their next best pass rusher is former Chicago Bear Leonard Floyd, and if it wasn't for social media... I'm not sure he could identify the quarterbacks in the league. He's never been that close to them. The magician, the guy who never gets sacked, Russell Wilson, sacked four times in the first half alone by the lowly one and three Minnesota Vikings. And to be clear, I'm not saying that you need to have a Lamar Jackson and that the pocket passer is dead. This is not a binary argument. You have to be able to pass from the pocket. And the better the pocket passer, the better you're going to be. But when I say mobile, I mean Andy Dalton, Teddy Bridgewater, Matt Stafford. You need an athlete. I'm done with the immobile statue pocket passer. And it's not their fault. I'm not blaming them. The game has changed. O-line matters. O-line to begin with has not been good this year. And it hasn't been good for the last several years. And it's only getting worse. For what reasons, I'm not exactly sure but it's bad and it's dictating a change because once you have your starters who aren't good go out and injury is going to happen you have a five person offensive line injury is going to happen so these immobile guys Matt Ryan Jared Goff Phillip Rivers Jimmy Garoppolo I'm done with you I it's not your fault man the game's changed and it's not a surprise that As I'm recording this, I see Jimmy Garoppolo, there's a report the 49ers are considering moving off of him. And I loved Jimmy Garoppolo last year. I said, uh, he's underrated, all this stuff. But he had a great offensive line. And now his offensive line got older. They traded away one of his key pieces on their offensive line. And he's injured, doesn't look the same. The game is changing. I'm done. I don't have to be married to one position. I can change my mind. I can change what I'm interested in. I can change what I believe. And for these quarterbacks, there's not much I can do with you if you can't move around. And for the detractors, Jared Goff, he was ranked by Pro Football Focus as the best passer from a clean pocket. But the whole point of O-line matters is what happens when his starting guard goes down. What happens when he doesn't have the protection He's not going to look like the same quarterback. And we saw that last year. And you can tell me Jared Goff is back, but his protection has been perfect. And by the way, they've beaten only the NFC East. They're 4-0 against the NFC East, and they've beat no one else. So you're really not going to win this argument with me that, that you can win with an immobile passer. You might be able to do it if everything remains perfect, but that's not the NFL. People get injured. People get hurt. But let's look for a second, though. I'm going to change gears just a little bit to say, well, why does O-line matter? Where are you seeing this? The Green Bay Packers gave Aaron Rodgers a lot of credit last week, credit he deserves. You got to give the credit to the weapons, Aaron Jones. Their defense has been playing reasonably well. But their offensive line rank in the league, number one, according to Pro Football Focus. How about those resurgent Cleveland Browns? The Cleveland Browns are 4 and 1. Nobody saw that coming. Cleveland is 4 and 1. New England is 2 and 2. Never thought I'd see the day. Welcome to 2020. How's their line? How are they doing? Oh, oh, they're number 3. I'm shocked. Really surprising. Baker Mayfield's really the same guy. He just had the 23rd ranked offensive line last year. And it was bottom ten, so they couldn't uh bottom ten in rushing, so they couldn't develop a running game for him. Now they can protect him, now they have a running game. Baker Mayfield's generally the same quarterback with limitations, but they add the running game. They protect him a little bit. He is mobile. He's a guy that I can stick with. And there you have it, the Browns are four and one. So everyone wants to talk about. Aaron Rodgers and Baker Mayfield, oh, they're playing so good. Packers, the Browns, all these teams around the league that are playing well because of their skilled players. This would not be possible without the offensive line. And when your guys go down on that front line, quarterback play is going to fall off. So I'm here to tell you this campaign is here. And it's here to stay beyond November 3rd. If I'm the general manager, if I'm running a team, if I'm commenting on football, we have to acknowledge O-line matters. It's time to officially welcome back into OTB the marvelous Joey Thompson. How are you feeling?
1: Hey, Jonathan. I'm doing great, man. Thanks for asking you know, just had a little pain, but Hey, it's like them football players. I'm back on the field and I'm ready to go.
0: Marv was questionable for the show, but he is in gear, ready to go. Got the microphone rocking. So, so we're ready. We're ready to do this thing. We're ready to get into it. And Marv, I am running for office. I'm not sure which, but my mantra is O-line matters. What I want to know is do I have your vote, but just seriously, more importantly, why is O line? Why is this position group struggling so much this year and in recent years past?
1: You know, what, Jonathan, O lines do matter, and I've been watching a lot of uh, games over the past four to five weeks in the NFL, and we've been seeing some really bad offensive line play. Now, this can, you know, go back to be having a short offseason, you no know, pr- lack of practices, last lack of. OTB, lack of um, what's it called? Uh, training camp, lack of preseason. Right now, four or five weeks have already passed for most of these teams. So we're starting to see who is who. And I was really not impressed this week as, as well, watching some of these teams giving up eight, six, seven, nine sacks. Quarterbacks getting injured left and right because their offensive line couldn't block. Now, I'm not going to put it all on the offensive line and say it's their fault completely because I think it takes two to tango. And I'm going to tell you this. I believe also it takes a quarterback to get the ball out quick. If you have a quarterback that can get the ball out under, let's say, 2.2 seconds or even less, you have a better chance or better shot at not getting sacked. An example. I was paying attention to the Denver Broncos backup quarterback when Drew Locke got injured. Drew Locke was only sacked one time in the one and a half games he played. That one sack, of course, got him hurt. Then enter Driscoll. Driscoll, through the game and a half that he played, he was sacked almost 11 times. What was the difference? They were playing with the same offensive line. Problem is, Driscoll was holding the ball longer. Then Driscoll got benched because of how he was holding the ball so long. They put in Ripon and Ripon didn't get sacked at all versus the Jets in a full game. So he had the same exact offensive line. What was the difference? He was getting the ball out quicker. He was making quicker reads. And I believe this also has happens to be the reason why some of these offensive lines are playing bad. They don't have that chemistry built up because a lot of these teams have possibly new quarterbacks playing for them. You got a lot of new new moving pieces. Some of these guys have new offenses. So they're still getting to iron down all the kinks and learning these offenses where all the receivers are going to be and so, and so and so and so. And some of these offensive linemen are brand new to the, the teams, so they don't know all their assignments. So I'm going to give them, I would say, another week or two before I start seeing that. You know, blaming the offensive linemen. But no no preseason, no real offseason. I'm going to blame it on that. But like I mentioned, after a couple weeks, I'm going to stop making excuses for these guys because they are professional football players.
0: Yeah, without the OTAs and without preseason, I can see your point. It probably goes back further than that with the new collective bargaining agreement, as you kind of mentioned, but I just want to highlight for our audience, the new collective bargaining agreement that's been in place for the last two or three years has allowed for less contact and less practice. And this is a position group that needs to work and move in unison. It's five guys that all need to know where they need to be within the scheme, within pass blocking, within run blocking, whichever side it is, They have to know where the guy is on their left and the guy is on their right, and they need to take one step at a time all at the same time. And Without the practice, it makes it more difficult. Now, it seems to me still that college is sending either less prepared offensive linemen or just flat out worse, lower skilled, however you want to say it. Do you think it could be a level of poor line coaching getting lost in this flash and dazzle offensive era where everyone wants the receivers and the quarterbacks and we're setting records for points even with this bad offensive line play we're setting records for points is this just maybe in the NFL a bad coaching situation that teams are not taking into account for
1: it could be uh n- for example, in the 2021 upcoming NFL draft, looks like there's going to be a lot of really good prospects in the offensive line. So it in the last 2 to 3 years, I would say the, the offensive linemen that came out, none of them have been like top talented guys other than Nelson that went to the Colts. Uh, but I would say it, it plays a little a big role in what's going on right now in the NFL, you're not getting all these uh, elite tackles like we used to see years ago, where every year you would have like a tackle going within the top three picks. I mean, hell, even the one year when the Kansas City Chiefs had the first pick, they drafted a tackle. So it's it's been you know a long time coming since we've seen an offensive tackle. And I, I blame it also on what's going on with uh, like. Offensive lines and these uh, athletes that are coming in, a lot of them are not really trying to play offensive line. A lot of these guys were maybe former tight ends who gained weight. So they're very athletic, but they don't have they're raw. They don't have the Mm -hmm. right skill set to play offensive line right off the bat. So they're coming into the NFL raw, and it's going to take them maybe a year, two years, three years. And that, you know, that all goes back to coaching. An example is Garrett Bowles for the Denver Broncos. This guy, finally, it looks like it's starting to click for him. But in his first three years in the league, that guy couldn't block worth anything. All he did was hold, hold, hold. He led the NFL in holds for like two seasons straight. The Broncos were getting ready to get rid of this guy. And it just finally started clicking. And he was one of those ultra, uber, athletic offensive linemen guys that Played other sports. Never played football. Played one year of football as a starting offensive lineman, and then boom, he got dropped in the first round because he was sick. And I believe this—that's the problem that NFLs having has had the last few years—is a lot of these scouts and and a lot of these teams have been looking for offensive linemen who are athletic that can move around instead of ones that actually have sound blocking skills, and and it's been affecting them. Um, Another guy, for example, that went in that same draft was uh, Ramchak, the offensive tackle for the Saints. He's become a solid offensive lineman, and he was drafted after uh, Garrett Bowles in the first round. So, and this guy was a seasoned vet. He played in uh, Wisconsin, a team that's known for putting offensive linemen in the league. And I I look back and I'm like, man, sometimes I, I regret the Broncos taking Garrett Bowles over this guy because I was like, this guy is, going to be better than Garrett Bowles why are they taking this guy because they say he's going to be have more potential and he was more athletic and that's why they took him over Ramchek. and I think that's the mistake a lot of these teams are making when they're evaluating evaluating these offensive linemen coming out of college
0: you bring up a good point If they're coming in raw as former tight ends that gained weight and it's not their first choice, they need that better coaching. So it could be the coaching, but I wonder too, if it isn't the change in society and culture, including football culture. Remember when Terrell Davis was the face of the NFL, like 1998, we think about running backs and Eric Dickerson the best athlete wanted to play running back because running back was the most famous. And it just, the best athletes, they play running back and receiver. And then 2000 hits and Michael Vick comes along and the best athlete is now playing quarterback. There's always this trend in these movements and shifts in every type of culture. And especially with this country, and, and, and I'm not saying this is a good or bad thing, but we've kind of gotten softer away from work ethic. We work smarter, not harder and uh, we're maybe not as tough because of it. And offensive line, to be a natural offensive lineman, you have to be a brute. You have to be tough. You're banging heads all the time. And I'm just wondering if there isn't that same level of value on the position within the culture of America, within the culture of football. It's very interesting to think about it that way. And as you said, Marv, you cannot go wrong drafting a lineman from Wisconsin, where they still value that tough uh, Midwestern work ethic. That's for sure. And I think of uh, going back to the quarterbacks to wrap this up, when you say the quarterback, they got to get the ball out of their hands. It's absolutely right. Right. If I know I have a bad offensive line, I got to get rid of the ball. Just like if I know I have a commuter car, some call it a junker, just gets me to and from work. I can't take it on a road trip from New York to California. It's going to break down, right? I mean, it might make it your five miles to work and five miles back for a year, but take it to California. That's a whole year's worth of miles and somewhere along the way, it's going to break down. So it is on the quarterbacks to get the ball out quickly. My whole point though, and using the Chicago bears as an example is if they know you have to get the ball out quickly and you're not mobile, not elusive, like an Aaron Rodgers, like a Lamar Jackson, you don't have to be ultra mobile. You just have to move around, dodge and sway and and get away with it. I know how to stop you. I know how to stop you real quickly. Sit on those low routes, sit on those shallow routes, send pressure up the middle. And if you beat me up, uh, up the seams on the outside deep, that's just the way it goes, but you're probably not going to as long as I have some decent corners. So we'll see how it turns out, but we're in agreement. O-line matters. Let's kick off our second quarter and talk about the quarterback situation in Dallas. Of course, we have to talk about the Dallas Cowboys quarterback room with Dak Prescott's injury coming so suddenly. And I have to say this. I was going to come on the air and say I always looked at Dak Prescott as kind of a kid who was born into wealth, trust fund, becomes a social media influencer type person, Instagram, Snapchat. He just has so much money. He can't fail. He's just going to become famous. He's going to come across your feed, and you're like, who's this that guy, oh, he's some rich kid that has unlimited money to buy ads. Of course, he's going to be on my feed. But all that money, all that riches, it was, uh, it was drying up. Tyron Smith, Cowboys star left tackle, gets injured out for the season. And that's after losing Hall of Fame level center Travis Frederick to retirement this offseason. So the line's getting weak. That line that we always talk about being so great for the Cowboys, eh, not so much. And then there's Zeke. I don't know if it was that he got paid. I don't know if that he uh, just wasn't interested because he wasn't a prominent part of the offense. He wasn't engaged. He hasn't been all season. That pick six in the Giants game, it wasn't on Dak. Zeke didn't turn his head around. He wasn't paying attention. He was loafing on the play because he wasn't the primary option and he was frustrated. And I was going to come on and say, now Dak has the opportunity to prove it. His trust fund... Drying up. There's not any money really left in it. Yeah, he's got like maybe a million bucks, but for a kid who had 10 million left, you know, he's got the wide receivers. He's got Zeke if Zeke ever tries to uh, engage himself again. I was like, uh, Dak's going to be able to see if he can earn his contract because I was going to pivot. I was going to say, we can't really say everything's perfect for him now. Let's see what he does without the perfection that was the Dallas Cowboys offense or as close to perfection as you could get in the NFL. Sadly though, we won't be able to see that this season. I have to say, I wish Dak Prescott a speedy recovery. That was a nasty, nasty injury. I hope Dak gets better soon. But that Andy Dalton guy, he came in and boy, did he look good. I'm going to have to be honest with you. I really have never said anything positive about Andy Dalton in his entire career. And I realize how this is going to sound like just because it's not Dak and it's the Cowboys, that's the reason I have this newfound affinity for him. But hear me out here. Andy Dalton is the NFL quarterback equivalent. If Dak is the trust fund kid, he's the poor kid who grew up on the streets in Cincinnati, the kid who didn't know where his next meal was going to come from. Bad offensive line, one consistent weapon who was often hurt, and A.J. Green, a bad offensive scheme. It's the Bengals. What are you going to say? It was one of the, and still is, one of the worst-run franchises in the NFL, although things are looking up for them with Joe Burrow and what they have going on there in their accumulation of talent. But it was bad. Yeah, they made playoffs. Marvin Lewis deserves a lot of credit for what he did with the Bengals in that time, in hindsight. The Cowboys now, they aren't the mansion that they once were, this trust fund mansion. But their roster is a nice house. It's shelter in suburbia for Andy Dalton. They got those wide receivers. Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper, CD Lamb is looking like an absolute star. And they're going to have to rely on the run game. Maybe Zeke becomes more engaged now. And Andy, he's mobile. You know what I talked about with that weak offensive line? You have to be mobile. He was moving around. He was throwing darts out there on the run. I was really impressed. He's talented. And I have to say this. He will be playing much easier competition in the NFC East than when he was facing the Steelers and the Ravens defense twice a year. I look at the situation like in Philadelphia a couple years ago when Carson Wentz got injured and Nick Foles came in. Nobody was making the argument that Nick Foles was a better quarterback than Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz was the better talent. It's just a right place, right time situation, right fit for the scheme, right fit for the team. So I'm not saying that Andy Dalton is better than Dak. Dak is the more talented quarterback, though I question his value on the market. I'm just not so sure that Andy Dalton isn't the better fit for this Dallas Cowboys team right here, right now. Now, Marv, Dallas Cowboys are the gift that never stops giving. I never wanted to have this debate because of Dak Prescott's injury, but it is an interesting topic of conversation, so let's discuss. I know that you are with me in our conversations, and you believe Andy Dalton is a better fit, not a better talent, than Dak Prescott. And I want you to tell our audience, Why? Why does he fit this Dallas Cowboys team better?
1: Uh, Watching him play for many years in Cincinnati uh, with less talent. Andy Dalton put up some decent numbers. He made a few Pro Bowls. Andy Dalton got it done. Of course, eventually it caught up to him, and here we have it. Andy Dalton was released, and now he is a Dallas Cowboy. Uh, I believe he fell into the best possible Situation he could have ever fallen into. Andy Dalton's the type of quarterback that he knows how to make the right reads. He's smart, and he's playing in the Mike McCarthy offense that is—it uh, relies on time and precision. And he has really good route runners on the outside with Ceedee Lamb, and he also has Amari Cooper, uh, Michael Gallup. These, all these guys are really good route runners with exceptional speed. Uh, to run the offense the Dallas Cowboys have with Mike McCarthy, you need is based on time. And I believe that Andy Dalton will be really good at making these throws. As we saw at the end of the Giants game, he made the right throws at the right time when he needed to. He spreads the ball to the wide open receiver. He does not force it to one guy. Which is really good. Uh in Cincinnati, you only had AJ Green, of course. That's the only receiver I can name off the top of my head. And even then, he would spread the ball around to all his receivers. He had a few decent receivers come in uh during the times that AJ Green was injured, and he would pretty much make them really decent receivers. He had Tyler Eifert, who was hurt half the time, but he made Eifert a pro bowler. Now in Dallas, he has three. Number one type receivers, plus he has a decent tight end. Their offensive line is kind of beat up. Not as great, but it's still better than what he had in Cincinnati. And I feel like he's going to fit right in with what Dallas likes. As Tony Dungeon mentioned on Sunday night, kind of sounded a little messed up in the tone he said it. This might be a blessing in disguise for the Dallas Cowboys. They finally have a stable quarterback that's going to come in there and he's going to make the throws that he needs to make. He won't turn it over as much as Dak Prescott and he will make the throws when he has to under pressure and win you some games. And I feel he gives them, the Dallas Cowboys the best opportunity to win games and that's going to be – he's 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 what you consider a game manager and he he's going to fit right into that offense that they run and I love it. I just love the fit for him.
0: You bring up an interesting point on the timing – of the offense and how that's important. Now, the way I see it, after thinking about what you said, is that he is smarter. He is more smart than he is talented. Some guys are more talented than they are intelligent. When I think of that, I think of Lamar Jackson, more talented than he is intelligent. doesn't mean he's not intelligent. It means that his brain has to catch up with how fast his body is. Whereas Tom Brady is more intelligent then he is talented and his brain and his understanding of the game has elevated him to the level that he is. Dak Prescott is kind of a mix of the two, but I see more athleticism with a nice touch on the football. You were pointing out to me as we were watching the game, when he made that throw to Gallup on the run, you said Dak Prescott wouldn't make that throw because he wouldn't have been able to make that read. Maybe true, maybe not. We'll never know. But with strong wide receivers and with their strength being getting to spots, if he's smarter, that would make him the better quarterback for the offense. Now, I think we agree that Dak and uh, Andy Dalton, when we look at ceilings, my biggest problem with Andy Dalton that drove me nuts is that when I was watching him in prime time in Cincinnati, the ceiling, it's really low. And when your ceiling is low, I want to move on from you. But I've never seen him in a situation with so much wealth of talent, just guys who can ball. And the other point that I'll add to you saying that he's a better fit for the offense, I think this forces the Dallas Cowboys to commit to the run, which will get Ezekiel Elliott more engaged. I said, I don't know if it's his uh, being paid that's made him uninterested in playing football. Like some guys just want to get their money and then they don't want to get hit anymore. Could be that, but it also could be like, hey man, you paid me a bunch of money. I'm the bell cow back and now you don't hand me the ball anymore because you got Dak and you just want to sling it around all the time and, and see how good he is and see if he's worth paying. I think that was part of it. I think Mike McCarthy likes to pass the ball a lot as opposed to running it. I think this forces him to say, I do have a limited quarterback. He's really good with his timing but his arm isn't as great. He doesn't challenge the defense as much as Dak would have. I got to run the ball and I got a star running back and I'm going to use him. That's something that Mike did not have in green Bay, never a star running back. So I think that's important to consider. Now this is kind of a clickbaity, dramatic question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is this the last that we've seen of Dak Prescott in a Dallas Cowboys uniform?
1: That's a pretty tough question. Um, I'm not
0: going to hold you to the answer. At you the end of the day, initial thought.
1: At the end of the day, money talks, and if the number is not right, I can see the Cowboys, unfortunately, walking away from Dak Prescott. I mean, if they have any kind of success with Danny Dalton, they can use this as a uh, bridge quarterback and draft another guy. Simple as that. Because after this injury, it's it's going to be tough that Dak's going to come back 100%. I mean, he had a compound fractured, dislocated ankle. The last guy that had something similar to that was um, Gordon Hayward. He had a similar injury. His was a dislocated ankle with a fractured fibula, but his wasn't compound. Compound means the bone ripped through the skin, through the flesh. And that has um, similarity to what happened to Alex Smith. Took him at least a full season. To fully recover. And even then, he's not 100 uh, percent And I and I think this is gonna, it's gonna be a long road for Dak Prescott. You know, we're wishing the best for him. But I, I really can't see the Cowboys paying him what he's gonna be requesting at the end of the day. And it's gonna probably continue to get ugly, and either the Cowboys will franchise tag him, or they just simply will just let him walk.
0: So they say it's going to be four to six months. I tend to agree with you. Getting back to full strength, both mentally and physically, is going to be difficult to do that in that time frame. They have suggested the experts on this issue, multiple, have said it's going to be more towards six months at least. So four months is very optimistic. With that said, I found Stephen Jones' comments very interesting. He said that Dak. Is still part of their future. They're still committed to him. Sounds like they'll sign him. I don't believe that. I believe that is political speak. I believe it's playing public relations and saying, we're going to give you an offer. We want you to be part of our future, but our offer might be more like 20, 25 million because you got hurt and that's what the market says you're worth. And Then the male ego comes into play. And Dak Prescott would rather take 25 million with the Jaguars because the Cowboys disrespected him. That's what happens with men a lot of the times. It's very, I would call it silly to put it nicely and kind of ridiculous. You'd rather be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys for 25 million than the Jaguars, but it's this idea that I'm going to prove you wrong and I'm going to stick it to you. Uh, I don't believe that. I don't believe in that philosophy. He had a bad break. He should have taken his 30 to $35 million already. I believe his agent is to blame for that. Not him. He's worried about playing football. His agent says, hey, you're worth this. Pumps up his ego. He believes it. I can't blame him for that. So I blame his agent, and I always have through this whole process. You mentioned the franchise tag. There's no way that they're paying him $37 million off that injury because they're going to have to pay Andy Dalton as well, at least as insurance. Andy Dalton will be expensive-ish. If um he has a good season, so he'll be more than the seven million dollars that he can make this year, the non-exclusive franchise tag would also be an interesting option because it basically says, we'll pay you less than thirty seven million. I'm not sure what it'll be. It'll be more like twenty five to thirty million dollars non-exclusive. And a team would have to give up something for him, in which case, I don't think that they would because of his injuries. They're not sure how he's gonna work out. They're not sure if he fits in their offense. So that would be a way to get him as a discount, but it would also insult him and his and his agent. So that will be interesting to watch as well. I know they're not going to pay him a long term contract unless he takes a significant discount. I know they're not going to all out franchise tag him. So I think the two most likely are you do the non exclusive franchise tag or you make him a market level offer by hit him hitting the overall free agency market where you can get him for a less expensive price. It is now time for Money Making Marv. We are going to kick off the third quarter here. Marv is going to give you his picks. Might I add that last week I filled in for him and got super lucky and was four and one, but I hope that you bet on them. Marv is our resident gambling expert. He did give me agreement on three of the picks. He got two out of the three. Marv stays winning. I got lucky one time, so I'm glad Marv is back to make the picks for us. He is going to get into it right now. Here comes the money. Money, money, money. Marv, give us your first pick of the week.
1: So my first pick, it was a really tough game. I was looking at it, analyzing, looking at both teams. The Bears are coming off of a big win Thursday night against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Panthers beat the Atlanta Falcons, but I'm taking the Panthers minus two and a half. Uh, the Panthers, I've been betting against them all year. These guys have been resilient. They've uh, come to play. Uh, they started off really bad early on, and then uh, their best player got hurt, Christian McCaffrey. And all of a sudden, they've ripped off with three straight wins. They're looking really good. They're going to get Christian McCaffrey back eventually. Uh, watch out. These uh, Panthers look like the real deal, and no one saw this coming. I got them winning two by more than two and a half points.
0: Boy, this game could go either way. Remember last week, my pick of the week really was Carolina plus two and a half at Atlanta. I love, love, loved it, and I do love the direction that Carolina is going, They are the surprise team to me. I knew that they would be competitive. I picked them to be 6-10. and They're on pace to be way better than that. I thought that they'd be in every game, but I didn't think that they'd find ways to win. But they are certainly ahead of schedule. I've always loved Matt Rule. I still love him. It's going to be interesting to see Rule against Nagy. I have a lot of respect for both of them offensively. I think the coaching edge goes slightly to Matt Rule. But the deciding factor and why I'm going to give you ever so slight disagreement is Nick Foles' best ability is his mental ability. He's a very smart quarterback who gets rid of the ball. So he's going to combat that offensive line problem that they have in the middle. I'm not saying the Bears aren't going to win any more games. I'm saying that they're not a legitimate Super Bowl contender when you play against the elite of the elite. And the Panthers, when they started the season, eight of 11 of their defensive starters were rookies. I think he's going to get hit. Uh, get them to make some mistakes. I think we're going to see that out there. So I'm going to give you slight disagreement. This goes a field goal either way. I think it goes a field goal towards Chicago. Won't be surprised if I'm wrong here. Just be cautious, people. Marv, give us your second money-making pick.
1: So my second pick, this is a crazy one. I'm taking the New York football Giants minus three versus the Washington football team. Washington football team is on the third quarterback Um, uh, potential comeback player of the year candidate, Alex Smith uh, playing in New York. I just don't see Washington football team having enough to beat the Giants. The Giants have been fielding a top five defense. Unfortunately, the Giants have played some really good teams. If we look back, the worst team they played was Dallas and Dallas had to come back and beat them. Uh, The Giants, just have been catching a lot of bad breaks and haven't been finishing. I believe this is the week the Giants finally finish and get their first win versus the Washington football team, minus three.
0: You're going to get agreement from me here. The Washington football team's line is awful. They gave up eight sacks last week. Alex Smith, happy for him to be back because he wanted to be back, was worried about him, was hoping that he'd be okay. He's been through a lot, I think 17 surgeries, He had, I believe it was 14 pass attempts in a little bit over a half, and he threw for 37 yards. No time to throw the football and got sacked a lot. I'm worried about who their quarterback would be after him because if he's going to get hit that much, I'm not sure how long he's going to make it. And the Giants are a well-coached football team. I like Ron Rivera. I like what he's doing to build the culture and take no nonsense for what has been a nonsensical franchise in Washington. But this is the Giants here, man. This is where they get their first win. They're going to win by at least three points. Big agreement from me. Marv, your third money-making pick.
1: Now the third one. <laughs> you can't uh, say
0: it without a straight face, people. Go. The
1: third one, is it's, it's, it was really, really, really tough. I, I went back and forth. But trying not to laugh, people, I took the New York Jets, plus eight. Uh, Joe Flacco and Frank Gore. I believe they're going to go ahead and go to Miami and at least put up a fight. They'll lose, that's for sure, more than likely. But I just don't see the Jets getting blown out by the Dolphins. The Dolphins blew up a San Francisco team that's dealing with a lot of adversity and injuries. But this is a big divisional game. The Jets always seem to play the Dolphins tough when they play them in Miami and even in New York. So I feel that this game is going to be the same thing. It's going to probably come down to like a last second field goal where the Dolphins end up winning uh, or Fitzmagic pulls something out of his uh, hat and wins the game. But I just don't see them winning by more than two scores. They're going to win. If they win, it's going to be three or seven points. So I'm taking New York Jets plus eight.
0: So Marv. 2020 has been a crazy year, but did you find a time machine that I'm not aware of? Did you find one? Because I wasn't aware that we were in 2008 (laughs) where Joe Flacco and Frank Gore are going to keep a game within 10 points. I uh, cannot see that happening only because of that. I have no faith in Joe Flacco and Frank Gore to put together any sort of offense. It's not like they have elite weapons on the perimeter They have defensive guys. I really couldn't even tell you who's on their defense anymore with the opt-outs and the trades. They are horrifically just just bad. And um, the argument that I will go with in your favor is that it is a division game. So if you're playing by the golden rules of betting, betting big spreads within the division. You had mentioned betting uh, last week on Oakland, which you would have been correct. I'm sorry, not Oakland, Las Vegas. Still getting used to that one. You would have been correct because it was a large spread. It was plus 13. They ended up winning the game. And they had blown that spread many times over the last couple of years. We had gone back and forth on that one. But the point is games and division tend to play close because they know each other well. They play each other two times per year. They know the signals. They know what plays they run. They get an idea of what each other's tendencies are but i still can't give you agreement because of joe flacco and frank gore and it's not 2010. So but, disagreement there.
1: <laughs> well, let's think about it this way. If the jets are really that bad, i would have expected like a minus 13 for miami or even a minus 10, a bigger spread. Why is it only plus 8 and that's what kind of drew my attention is, you know, they're they're without their starting quarterback. They just cut their starting running back. So where the point's going to come from, how they set I mean, to me, this is like Vegas playing it safe and saying, you know, trying to trying to get people to bet on the dolphins because of the blowout they did over there versus San Fran. You would think that this would be a much larger spread. And that's why I'm going with New York.
0: Fair point. I do believe that it was adjusted for in the division. If it was out of the division, it would be like a plus 13, but it's in division. So it's plus eight. And might I just point out in passing that the Jets are 0-7 without Sam Darnold, soon to be 0-8. So maybe he'll do just like Ryan Tannehill when he leaves. (laughs) I can hope so I don't look like an absolute buffoon. Anyways, on to the next money-making pick, Marv. Who do you have? I
1: like San Francisco to cover three and a half points at home versus the Los Angeles Rams. I'm still not a big believer in the Rams. The Rams haven't really beat anybody. Uh, The 49ers just look really bad at home versus the Dolphins, as I mentioned in my last pick. I feel like Kyle Shanahan is going to have a really good game plan. 49ers are going to come out and they should at least be in that game. Worst case scenario, 49ers lose by field goal. It's another division game. So I feel 49ers. We'll cover this game plus three and a half.
0: So, going into the season, I had the San Francisco 49ers at seven and nine, I believe, and the Rams at six and 10. The Super Bowl hangover applies to everyone, and San Francisco is no exception. Their offense is a little outdated. Their line play isn't as good holding up Jimmy Garoppolo, as we said. I think part of his problem was the injury last week. Don't believe we'll see him play this week if he's not well. He's not going to push his way back onto the field. This is a must win for San Francisco in this division. And I don't think we've seen the true Rams. When I say that they would be 6-10, and 10, I think they're going to be a little bit better, whether it be 7-9 and nine or 8-8, eight and eight, and perhaps 9-7. and seven. But they are 4-0. They played all the NFC East and obviously won. And then the other team that they played, they lost. So I don't really think that we have a ringing endorsement that the Rams are good now. I think that they're not bad. And there's a difference. I will take the Rams to win the game, actually. But it'll be very close. And they'll win by a field goal. Marv, your fifth and final money-making pick of the week, please.
1: All righty. So I'm taking the Green Bay Packers coming off of a bye. Uh, they're playing in Tampa Bay. Uh, Tom Brady's coming off of a one-point loss. I see the same thing happening on Sunday. Green Bay is coming off a bye. Aaron Rodgers after a bye is unbelievable. Uh, he's going into Green to Tampa. Tampa, it's going to be like another home game for Green Bay. Tampa Bay has been atrocious at home, regardless of who the quarterback and the coaching staff is. They always – struggle at home. And that's why I really like Green Bay. Green Bay's so much better as a team. They're in their second year with their head coach who's become a really head coach. He's grown a lot. He's had a really good record. I mean, I'm done betting against the Green Bay Packers. I really love, love, love this spread. This is the pick of the week. Minus one and a half. Green Bay Packers over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers.
0: I love, love, love this pick. I do believe that these teams are the best and the second best team in the NFC. Green Bay is by far the best though. The gap between Green Bay and Tampa Bay is a grand canyon. I mean, it is huge and I'm not super bullish on Tampa. It's just that the NFC is so bad. The East is horrific. Um, the West, the Seahawks are 5-0, and but their defense is on a historic pace to be the worst defense ever. That is all Russell Wilson. And some credit to DK Metcalf and those weapons for making some plays, but Russell Wilson certainly helps them. But I'm really looking forward to watching this game to see how Green Bay stacks up a be- against better competition but Green Bay all the way, man. This is an easy bet. I'm surprised that they're minus one and a half. I think it would be higher, like minus three, as you mentioned, Marv. Tampa's kind of a party city. It's not really the best home field advantage. Not the best fans. I know that doesn't matter now, but that kind of lack of focus with those palm trees and pools in everyone's houses and margaritas after practice, I'm not sure that that's the best thing to be having every day. Just kind of a culture of distraction can be harder to win when you have nicer things to do, whether it's LA, Tampa, wherever you may be. When you have good weather and beaches, you tend to want to be out there, especially during this COVID time. I love the Packers in this spot. And with that, we will shift to our fourth quarter. Our quick hitters, as we span the news around the leagues, we will go through them quickly. So here we go. Marv, the lost. Los Angeles Lakers are your NBA Finals champions. The obvious raging debate is, is this a legitimate title or does it come with an asterisk?
1: It is legit as it comes. At the end of the day, the season had to be played. It had to be finished. And the Los Angeles Lakers came and they conquered. They took over the bubble and they won the title. LeBron has won his fourth uh, MVP and his fourth title. So it is legit as it comes, respect to the Lakers. They uh, over exceeded my expectations as we've uh, picked against them during, you know, early in the playoffs because they were looking flat. But those guys caught on fire at the right time and they finished it off in six games against the Miami Heat. No asterisk for me. It's legit as it comes.
0: So this was so funny to me because I'll call it Skip Bayless Nation was, of course, going to be. Like, if LeBron lost, it was the easiest path to the final ever, and he lost. And when he wins, of course, it's a double-edged sword that says, well, it doesn't count. There weren't any fans. It was a bubble. Like, no matter what happened to LeBron James, there's always going to be the chorus of haters that says this doesn't count for whatever reason. He has played the most difficult finals competition not so much the Heat, but in his career. So his record is is more than reasonable being four and six. He's a four-time NBA champion. You can't take that away from him. This is absolutely legitimate without an asterisk. Next, Le'Veon Bell is released from the Jets. I guess they couldn't find a trade partner for him. My question for you is where will he land?
1: I firmly believe that he will go back to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh he probably may want to go you know, complete, do the whole full circle and go right back to where it all began and do the Steelers right because it was a nasty divorce when he did originally leave. And I believe deep down inside he wants to make it right for the Steelers fans. That's where he had his most success with Big Ben. And the Steelers are looking to add or have another running back because uh, James Conner is more of a grinder. He's not a pass catcher. And Le'Veon Belzer, it was great with the Steelers in pass catching. And I just like the fit of him going back and finishing what he began there in Pittsburgh. For me, I have two
0: teams that come to mind. I love the Steelers. They would be in this list as well. Um, Buffalo, they have a dynamic receiver in Stephon Diggs. They have a blooming quarterback, finally, in Josh Allen, who is really becoming a playmaker. So I see a gap there at running back. Singletary's nice, but hes I don't think he's really it. I don't think he does anything extremely special. The other team that I wonder if they wouldn't be interested in, uh, in signing him would be the Chicago Bears. Tariq Cohen is injured. Kind of a rental for him to show what he can do in a passing offense because they're team isn't so run centric or run heavy. If I were him, I'd rather be in Buffalo, but I wonder if Buffalo's too risk adverse to bring him into their culture, which is kind of young and uh, succeeding as it is. The Bears are in much more desperate need with the injury in the offensive line with Nick Foles. They could use him very badly, but uh, don't really trust Ryan Pace to do anything right. What did I say that? Oh, okay. Next, Marv, we're seeing our second Coach firing in the NFL this year. Atlanta has finally let Dan Quinn go. Sorry to Dan Quinn, but we've been asking for this for a couple of years now. It just hasn't been the right fit. He's a defensive coordinator who has his place in the league, but not a head coach. Who's next for Atlanta?
1: It's a really good question. I was thinking about that. I was looking at the candidates. Currently, I don't see any candidate that sticks out to me right now, but I believe Atlanta is going to go in the route of a offensive-minded guru, possibly in the college ranks. And they're going to probably follow the same blueprint that the Panthers set down with Matt Rule and going with the fresh new mind because Atlanta is full of gifted, talented weapons. They have a really good wide receiver core. They have a really good young tight end. Their offensive line is not that bad because they've been building over the past few years through the draft. And they somehow have been struggling, and it's really not even the defense's fault because they've also built their defense up to be decent. They just there's games where they go up 28 points in some way somehow take the foot off the pedal and lose. Well, they need a coach that's going to come in there and not take the foot off the pedal, and continue mm-hmm. the rain on them if he has to. And and I think the only way they're going to find that is. Going outside the box and going grab an offensive-minded, fresh face, possibly from the college ranks.
0: Love the idea. I'm absolutely on the same page. The one NFL name that comes to mind who almost got a job last year is Eric Bieniemy. He is the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. I do believe he will get a job somewhere. But when you talk about going to the college ranks, that's exactly where I'd go. I'd certainly call Lincoln Riley. Because Oklahoma is not the program that they once were. It's been said Lincoln Riley will not leave until he wins a championship at Oklahoma, but let's be realistic. Oklahoma's not winning a championship, maybe ever again in college football. They may be in the college football playoffs multiple times in the next decade, but they do not stand a chance against Clemson and Alabama the way that this thing is going. And this is probably the best NFL job that will come available this decade. Dallas may have been sexier or more interesting to coach in Dallas with the star on the helmets, but you have stable ownership and you're probably going to get the first or second pick. And we have two great quarterbacks to develop. Lincoln Riley is the ultimate quarterback whisperer. Man, if I were him, I would seriously consider Atlanta. There's not a ton of pressure there either. It's kind of a college town, just like he's used to. So call Lincoln Riley, call up some college names, look at Eric Bieniemy, but they absolutely have to go offense to develop a young quarterback who they are going to get almost assuredly in the draft. And up next, Marv, the Saints want to play at LSU's stadium in Baton Rouge because New Orleans will not allow them to have any fans in the stadium. Is this a viable option and should the NFL allow this?
1: From the NFL, I'm all for it. Uh, it's a really good partnership that the NFL could form with LSU and the Saints. This would help the Saints because the Saints, as we mentioned before in segments in the past, the Saints are a team who thrive off of their fans, and they need their fans. And it's, it's been evident you know, early in the season, the Saints are 3-2. and two. I believe if they had fans in one of those games, they probably would have won that game. They feed off of the fans, and this is going to be great. Of course, the LSU or Baton Rouge is 80 miles away from the Superdome, but I'm sure some diehard Saints fans will make the trip, and it'll be worthwhile, and it'll also help with revenue uh, for the Saints and LSU. I'm sure they'll come up with a deal where they can split the revenue for how many fans are in the stadium, and and I just think it's a win-win situation for everyone involved, and I really like the idea.
0: Yeah, I do too. I love it. A lot of college games have gone out without a hitch here. Uh, There's been a lot of different fans in attendance and they've been distance and outdoors, but all the science says outdoors is okay. It's an outdoor stadium. You can't have indoor stadiums, which makes sense. I trust the science. Don't have indoors and they're indoors. Um, We are seeing the fraud that the Saints are when they don't have their crowd behind them. They're not the Team that can go head to head, let's say in a Super Bowl at a neutral crowd. I docked them from let's say 13 and three down to like 11 and five because they lost their fans. And I thought that would affect them the most. It seems to be that way. Do I think Justin Herbert, who we'll get into in a minute, would have had the type of game that he had in the Superdome if the fans were there? Absolutely not. And the Saints would have easily won that game. But we see they should lose these games. I mean, they really got lucky to beat Detroit because Detroit is Detroit, and the Chargers are going to charge her too, man. Miss a field goal, miss an extra point, do what Chargers do. They lose. So uh, they're in trouble without their fans, and I think it would help. It would also be a great ambassador program for the NFL. And like you said, I didn't think about it. They'd help with their revenue as well. And next, Marv, this is the last, but certainly not the least. Justin Herbert is setting records, which include a Monday Night Football record for rookies, three touchdowns, As a quarterback, is it too early to say you were right and I was wrong? I sure hope so.
1: Correction. For what I believe, he threw four touchdowns, which I was shocked to see myself. I I, I was looking at the numbers. I'm like, am I seeing a typo? Um, This kid has been passing all my expectations. I was aboard on the Justin Herbert train early on. I, I did want John Elway, if the Broncos, for example, didn't win the games they did last year to draft him. uh, I believed he would have been a really good fit. I just liked his measurables and what I thought he can do in the NFL. Uh, He's 6'6", 240 pounds. He reminded me kind of a more athletic Big Ben. He sits in the pocket strong and makes all the big throws. Now, I'm not going to get ahead of myself because this is early in the season, uh, teams are still learning how to defend against him. So we'll see how he adjusts as defenses start getting a little bit more tape on him. But for now, Justin Herbert's looking like the real deal. So we'll see how that, that you know, turns out as the season progress.
0: Yeah, Marv, you are right. It was four touchdowns. I don't know where I got three from. That's why you do your uh, dot your I's and cross your T's because I just remembered three and I just went with it, but it absolutely was four My thoughts on this is it's too early still. I don't mean to be stubborn in my position, but I think you're seeing what you saw in the NBA in the bubble where the young teams were playing really well and the older teams like the Clippers were struggling. It's kind of just an AAU tournament or a pickup football game without the fans. I thought Justin Herbert would have had a really tough time playing in the Superdome with the fans. That said, I'm super impressed with his abilities. He is making big boy NFL throws, highly graded throws that I did not know that he could make because his coaches in college did not let him do it. I'm not sure why they didn't let him do it. When I watched him in the Rose Bowl, that kind of made my judgment on him. He was playing against the best competition that he played all season. And they're just like, nah, dude, you're not throwing the ball. But I guess their coach is just ultra conservative because boy, can he sling it with quarterbacks. When they come on strong in the first year, the defenses are going to adjust to them in the second year, and we will see what happens in the third year. I'm learning not to jump to conclusions in the first or second year. We will wait to the third to make our ultimate ruling, but he has certainly impressed me.
1: And and to go back to what you said about the three touchdowns, he threw three, three touchdowns against Tampa. That's probably why you may have got it confused <laughs> so he, yeah he had seven touchdowns in the last two weeks pretty impressive
0: seven touchdowns just a very impressive young quarterback so far i was wrong we'll see how it turns out uh certainly wrote him off too quickly coming into the league i'm just a little bit weary of big arm quarterbacks that haven't shown me anything in college like i love joe burrow who's done really well, even though he's served as a pinata behind that line against the Ravens and and those elite defenses that he's been playing. But I am more in love with the mental capacity, but he obviously has it mentally because he's making the throws where they need to be made. And he's making big boy football throws under pressure in tight windows, throwing it behind players when he needs it to be behind him. One of the announcers actually criticized him for throwing it Behind, he needed to throw it behind because that was only where the window was, and I was uber impressed with that throw. That was one of the best. That was in the fourth quarter. Uh, it ended up being an incompletion, but it was on their last drive that they did not end up uh, scoring. It was actually an overtime. I apologize. The game went into overtime, and uh, it was the third down throw. Very, very impressive. That, folks, is the end of our show. We thank you for listening. Uh, we hope you'll continue to join us weekly as we do the show. If you've enjoyed the show, please do leave us a review, but more importantly, share with a friend, let them know that we are out there. It is the best way to grow a podcast and it's how we continue to keep growing. It is simply word of mouth. So it's all thanks to you.
1: Marv, do you have anything for the people? We appreciate you guys. Um, keep tuning in, keep giving us those great reviews. Uh, feel free to always reach out to uh, Jonathan or myself on Twitter or social, any social media outlet, even Facebook. We're always willing to interact with our fans, and uh, we'll continue to give you guys the best up-to-the-minute news on football, basketball, or any subject you guys would like to listen to. Just reach out to us, and we love all the love that we've been getting, and we truly appreciate you guys.
0: We do appreciate you. We'd love to hear from you. That's at JMOTBpod, at Pod. We're going to keep it interesting. We're going to take it outside the box score. We're going to think differently, and we're going to bring you new takes, interesting information, not a binary argument like the rest of the media where they stand in their positions and argue to people just to hear themselves talk. We love doing this. We love talking with you guys and not just to you. So we'll talk to you again next week.
1: Later, people.